So here's David Akers is going to try a 63-yard field goal. I love this. Just inside the left hash. Why not? Let it rip. There's a snap. Ball down. Kick on the way by Akers. Line drive kick is going to get there. Hits the crossbar. And it is good. It's good. He made it. 63. What is up, Football Nation? Welcome to the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters Podcast. Episode 20, September 13, 2012. The first episode ever of the show. With games played. With games played before Absolutely. it. Uh, we got a great show for you today from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. Don Banks is going to join us after uh, our introduction here. want to thank Kenny Albert for being on the show last week. and uh, It was really exciting after having just interviewed Kenny, to be able to listen to him call the Saints and the uh, Redskins Redskins game, which was a disappointment for me. And, of course, you did not escape disappointment in one oh, either. Oh, God, no. I'll talk about that, though. Yeah, but we're going to get to that. But we're both here and excited for what we think is going to be a great show. Real quick. Yeah. When we mentioned things like we have Kenny Albert on last week, if you ever want to go check that out uh, – Football Nation, our bosses, not to bite the hand that feeds you, they don't always make that real easy to find. Right. So if you want to find that stuff, in the search, just type sports-casters, and you'll see a link uh, of all the stuff that Steve has submitted or that we've submitted to Football Nation. So check it out there. Yeah, if you know to search for it, it's easy to find. If you don't think to search for it, it's, you it's can a little lose bit it. tougher. Right. Uh, there's whispers of a redesign and all that type of fun stuff and supposedly but when that comes we're going to have more just visibility presence, on right. the front page and it'll but be but for better. now if you if you hear oh we had uh kenny albert or we had uh you want to hear about hard knocks and all that stuff search for it they're all there they're all archived and uh easy to find that way good point all right let's uh get right into it and do three things let's play a game all right Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Alright. For three things this week, what we're going to do is for the first thing, we're just going to talk together about... Opening week. We'll probably and do this every week. Yeah, most likely. A little week that was. Yeah, we're going to look back and talk about some of the things that really interested us in what was a really high scoring. Yeah. And if you're into high scoring, then exciting opening week of the NFL season. And a couple things I wanted to mention um, from that first week. One is Peyton Manning was awesome. Uh, it was really, you know, I, I know there's some people who aren't a big fan of Peyton. I happen to be. A fan of him, Dave Damashek. I love the yeah, <laughs> not right. a big fan. I love the cut that meat side of him. Oh, he's great. And the way yeah, he yeah. does those things, and I love the way he plays on the field. And it was great after a year of not having Peyton, of having him back and seeing him do the things that he does. And it was really cool 
that they sealed the game on a Tracy Porter pick six, <laughs> you know, because the greatest moment yeah. as a fan for me was Tracy Porter intercepting Manning and taking it to the house and winning the Super Bowl for the Saints. And uh, I just really enjoyed that. Also, I thought we got a great opening week game um, or opening game to the season on Wednesday with the Cowboys and the Giants. I really enjoyed that. I thought the Cowboys looked really well. It's going to be interesting to see because the NFC East has a way of kind of going back and forth as the yeah. season progresses. Going back to Peyton real quick. Yeah. I if you're even if you weren't a fan of him, I'm a, I'm going to be a rooting for the Broncos this year because the Bills don't look like they're going to do crap, but we'll get to that later. But uh There's a lot of players that go on to finish their careers in other places and they're kind of just forgotten about. So maybe Peyton will be the, one of those guys that uh, bunks that tradition and goes on. And maybe he can be like Montana in that one season in Kansas the, city. Right. Montana had all one the good way season. to the, right, right. they lost to the bills and right. the AFC championship game. But yeah, so I'm rooting for him. Uh, and why not? Uh, there, he went through a lot, a bit of an underdog. Yeah. He went through a lot. Uh, it's not the Patriots. Uh, they beat a good team in the Steelers too, which is even more impressive. So I, I'm excited to see what he And they have some year. really cool young players you could cheer for. Like Von Miller is a really awesome, yeah, cool yeah. linebacker. And I think Demarius Thomas is could be like the next T.O., yeah. just the way he's built and the way he looks. Two, two other guys that uh, sh- went through a little bit and came back and came back strong were MJD and Adrian Peterson. Peterson more than, more than MJD, I guess, because MJD was just kind of a contract squabble. But, wow, man uh, – Peterson is setting the bar for coming back early, and he looked good doing it. Uh, he was awesome. They weren't cheap yards or anything like that. It wasn't like a little bit of, here, get your toes wet in the first game just to see how it feels to get hit again. Two touchdowns. Yeah, two touchdowns, over five yards of carry, or right around five yards of carry, like 87 yards or something like that. And, you know, it was great. on this podcast that we had Ian Rappaport on, and he told us, that he was there the day that Adrian Peterson was winning about half the races with Percy, Percy Harvin up yeah. a hill. And that should have been a sign right there that this guy was going to be ready yep. through hell or high water. So for everyone that drafted him in the second, third round of your fantasy drafts, yeah, it looks like you, you locked out. You got a steal there. Big story on Sunday was five rookie quarterbacks started games. Yep. RG3 was the only one to win. We'll talk more about that game later. But Andrew Luck... Threw for 300 yards, had a touchdown. Unfortunately, he did get picked off and and tricked, I think, a few times by the Bears' defense. Um, He ended up with three interceptions and a 52.9 rating. Uh, But I wanted to mention that despite his interceptions, his 309 yards passing was the third most ever by a quarterback making his first start. And RG3's 320 yards was the second most. Those two guys are behind only Cam Newton's 400-plus last year. Uh, Whedon was probably the scariest Ooh. in terms of your f- a fans watching a quarterback Ooh. play his first game. I'm 31. He's almost as old as me at 29. Yeah, he's going to be 29 in a month. He doesn't he have a long time quick. to get good. He was 12 for 35 for 118 yards passing, four, four interceptions, TVs. and he got caught into the flag, which is embarrassing. <laughs> uh, so not great there. Tannehill got frustrated in his game, but I think that's a tough game. That's a tough game on the road against Houston, who could be a really good team. If I if I am a Miami fan, I'm not worried about Tannehill. If I'm a 
Colts fan, I'm definitely not worried about luck. I'm sure there's people out there that are crazy thinking, why didn't we pick up RG3? But And the fifth one was Russell Wilson, who I guess okay. is human. Uh, yeah. He had such a great preseason. He was 18 for 34, 153 yards passing, one TD, one okay. interception, 62.5 rating. So, okay, okay, on the road, first start. Team wasn't great. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you expect if you're a Seattle fan this year. You expecting to be a playoff team? I, I mean, I don't know. And what about his weapons? I mean, Braylon Edwards. Yeah, Braylon Edwards. Braylon Edwards dropped. I guess the game-winning touchdown. I didn't see the play, but he dropped what would have been a game-winning touchdown. Well, he so. only had five receptions and nine targets. Yeah, so he, he one of those targets, I guess, was in the end. And zone. Sidney Rice had four catches and nine targets. So I think he needs to get a little bit more from his supporting cast there. Sure, but um. Yeah, really interesting with the five starting quarterbacks. And with the overall starting quarterbacks, there were nine 300-yard passers. So that and used to be the benchmark close, of a right? great game. And, yeah, uh, two guys had 299. I think it was uh, – and Palmer had 297. Flacco and Matt Ryan had 299. And then Palmer had 297. So tons of throwing yards. I thought the Falcons looked really good. I thought that the 49ers looked great. Yeah. That uh, surprised me a little bit. If there was a team that was going to fall back to earth a little bit, I thought it would have been the 49ers, but they sure didn't show at week one. All right. So that's our Hold on. Hold on. Oh, we, oh. Off the top, we don't get a lot of kicker love on here. Oh, so, that's uh, right. The highlight off the beginning, David Akers. Uh, we talk about this on our other podcast, but bring up the same thing. He tied two others, the longest field goal in football history, and maybe – the most legit of the 63-yard field goals in football right. history. Uh, Dempsey did it with half a foot, which doesn't seem like it should be an advantage, but some people are like, oh, the way his shoe is built or something, like gave him extra leg behind it. And uh, who was the other one? Elam in the mile Elam high in the air. mile high. So the thin air. Uh, Akers did it legit off of grass in Lambeau Field. Outside. Outside in the elements. A uh, little luck from the crossbar, but... Good for him. That was an awesome kick. Sure was. I mean, it was a bomb. All right. Uh, my second thing this weekend is kind of an update on the Saints suspension situation. I think everyone was surprised at basically the 11th hour when a three-man appeals panel overturned, overturned it, yeah. the suspensions for the four players, Jonathan Vilma, Will Smith, Scott Fujita, and Anthony Hargrove. I kind of want to just clarify that for our listeners if you don't understand exactly what happened. Basically, the appeals panel said these suspensions are rejected if they're based on things like salary cap or the pay-to-play aspect of it. They decided the commissioner didn't have jurisdiction in those types of areas. Okay. So what they did is they sent the suspensions back to the commissioner – and they said, you now need to decide if these suspensions were made based on players trying to injure players. There he does have jurisdiction. Okay. So the commissioner has the right to reinstate these suspensions. And he's actually going to re-meet with them, I think. Right. right? Yeah. What was said today is that all four players are going to meet with the commissioner and present their evidence and talk this out. I think what the best thing the review panel did for everyone involved is they gave everyone a chance to get out of the courts, to get out of the appeals, to sit down together and try to come up 
with something that satisfies both sides. I think the commissioner is going to want all four of these guys to be suspended. But I think that there might be an amount of games there that will satisfy both sides. Maybe just cutting the suspensions in half. The Saints put Jonathan Vilma on the unable the the PUP. PUP, yep. PUP list. So he's out to at least week seven now. So if the commissioner maybe considered shortening that suspension to, say, eight weeks, that might satisfy Vilma. If he put uh, Will Smith from four to two, that might satisfy him. Yep. Um, maybe if he cuts a game off Fujita's, who is three. Hargrove is at eight. He's not on a team right now. So if that was cut to four, maybe that might give the Packers a reason to re-sign him. Um, so I think it gives uh, everyone involved a chance to take a step back and reassess. But if the commissioner is going to put suspensions down now, he's going to have to use proof. That's and what he's I was been th- reluctant to show proof so right. far. And so, so in short, the appeals, uh, the appeals were upheld, not because there wasn't evidence of the bounty gate. They, it was because it was about they deemed that he didn't have the right to do that based right. on what. Okay, he, they said he doesn't have the right or jurisdiction to suspend a player based on things like salary cap violation, which the pay-to-play scheme could have been. Okay. So they've asked the commissioner to clarify the suspensions so now and said he's if you're to... going to suspend them, you're going to have to do it based on evidence evidence right. of them attempting to injure other players. Okay, and that's what really, um, I think when this first came out, the casual fan wanted blood for some of the Saints. Or that's probably bad terms, but wanted harsh penalties for the Saints because of how dirty and like gruesome all this sounded. But as time went on, the NFL is failed to where, provide. Where it. is your proof? What, right. what are you doing? So this will be interesting to see how it plays out. And public, I think public opinion has shifted For sure. towards the Saints yep. and their players a little bit because of the lack of evidence. My second thing, a little bit of sad news this week: uh, a bit of a renaissance man in the NFL. Art Modell dies at age 87, uh, died of natural causes. Uh, with some of his family there. So I guess you can't ask for a better way to go. 87. Maybe best known for moving Cleveland to Baltimore, which Cleveland fans probably hate, and that's why the moment of silence they were going to hold for him was politely asked to be withdrawn because they didn't want idiots Odell's booing. families didn't, yeah. right, they didn't want people booing and making remarks. And I don't blame them. No, I don't either. But um, maybe you didn't know Art Modell did things like crafted the first CBA with Vince Lombardi. Uh, he negotiated rights for the f- league's first TV contract and was instrumental in getting Monday Night Football on TV. And he also, during the AFL-NFL merger, when the AFL was looked at like a little brother or the ugly stepchild, uh, he agreed to move the Browns to the AFC after they merged to make it all equal and make the merger possible. So we kind of fell on the grenade there, I guess, so to speak, to... Uh, to help the betterment of the league. So uh, a good guy and a real visionary in football and probably responsible for a lot of things that we take for granted nowadays. In the Monday NFL. Night Football. Yeah. So uh, to Modell, uh, Art Modell and his family, uh, rest in peace and good good career to you. Godspeed. And, yeah, Godspeed. All right, uh, third thing. We're going to do something that I don't think we're going to do weekly, but no. we both – God, I hope not. We both kind of felt like it would be appropriate to kind of blast our teams a little bit. We make it no secret that I'm a Saints fan and Don is a Bills fan. 
And both of our teams were two of the more disappointing teams on opening day. Uh, before I get to kind of blasting the Saints, I think I should say that the Washington Redskins were very prepared to play that game in the Superdome. Superdome is no easy place to play. The Saints were 9-0 and there last year, including their playoff win against the Lions. Uh, the Redskins came in with a great game plan. I don't know, though, if some of the things that they did to beat the Saints is sustainable over a 17-week, 16-week schedule in the NFL. Um, but for the time being, Robert Griffin III was awesome. He was 19 for 26. He had 320 yards passing, two touchdowns. He also had some rushing yards. But the Saints were an absolute disaster and a joke. They had 12 penalties. Drew Brees threw a terrible interception when the team was getting back into the game late. There was a lack of consistency from guys like Marquise Colston, who fumbled in the red zone out of the back of the end zone. And the one play that I think is the one that I want to focus on the most. When the Saints won the Super Bowl in 2010, it meant that they had the 32nd pick in the draft, which they used on a cornerback who's made a lot of progress. His name is Patrick Robinson, and he's made a lot of progress, and he's a starter this year with alongside Jabari Greer, who didn't play, and I think that that was a factor in the game. But Robinson had one of, if not the most excusable, inexcusable penalties that will be called all season. Robinson failed to get off the field <laughs> when the Saints defense had stopped the Redskins on a three and out right after the offense had scored a touchdown and cut the lead to eight with a lot of time left in the fourth quarter. The penalty, which is a five-yard penalty for having 12 men on the field, gave the Redskins a first down and resulted in a Redskins scoring drive. It totally, totally changed the game and basically took away any realistic chance the Saints had at winning. Patrick Robinson was shown on video essentially jogging off the field like you might jog the last five yards from your mailbox to your front door <laughs> after a three-mile run down the neighborhood. <laughs> Inexcusable. I wanted to call you out, Patrick Robinson. You really hurt and cost the team, and there was plenty of other players who made mistakes. Saints never got a run in-game established. Pierre Thomas led the team in rushing with 17 yards on four carries. And Drew Brees was only 24 of 52, which is really ugly for him. It's the first time. Yeah, yeah. It's the first time in six years he he had less than 50% of his passes completed. So Saints are going to need to do better than that. And I wanted to publicly say that it was embarrassing. And I'm pissed. And I hope that they're a lot better this week in Carolina. I think they'll be fine. Um, when I wrote this down, I wrote down Bill's rant slash overreaction. I, I know this is week one, and if I recorded this, it, it's very strange. Uh, I was an optimistic Bills fan in the offseason like many Bills fans, and it's amazing how quickly your mood can go back to, well, I guess I'm watching the uh, the other football game. I think it was Packers-San Francisco. I might as well flip to that game. I don't think that's me being a Fairweather fan. I think that's me being beaten down by the Bills for the past decade or so. Um, we've, we signed a quarterback in Fitzpatrick, and if he's not our quarterback, this is going to be all disjointed. I just wrote a bunch of notes here, so 
it's not going to flow real nice. But we signed a quarterback in Fitzpatrick who looked like garbage. Uh, they didn't do anything overly tricky to him. He just threw passes that were behind or short or uh, airmailed to guys. He's not accurate. He's not strong. And they got this new improved defense. Let the defense do a little bit. Not that they did better anyway. But if Fitzpatrick's not our quarterback, then who is? There's nobody else in the system that we've even drafted. The Bills have three quarterbacks that other teams didn't want in Ryan Fitzpatrick and now Tavares Jackson and Tyler Thigpen, and they're all terrible or below average. The Redskins today look like a brilliant team after that crazy trade they made, and the Bills look like we're going to go 5-11 and again and draft 10th and just hover in this mediocrity. Their next two games are against Kansas City and Cleveland. You better win those games because as easy as this season's schedule is, the middle of it is the toughest part. Following six games, they play New England, San Francisco, Arizona, Tennessee, Houston, and New England. If you're not 2-1 and one at that point, uh, you better be because you could easily lose four or five of those six games and be out of the season before the halfway point again. Uh, and have an empty stadium all December. Yep. Three home games. Again, like I said, this is all disjointed. I just kept writing stuff down. Losing is contagious for whatever reason with the Bills, and they were horrible in every area. Everyone thought the defensive line was going to be a strength this year. They couldn't bail out Fitzpatrick at all. The offense couldn't do anything right in the beginning of the game, and they managed to put up some points late when it didn't matter. Mario Williams crying about a rookie putting hands, hands in the face. face. Embarrassing. Not acceptable. Totally embarrassing. One tackle. There's no leadership in that team. Um, if... Think of the 2001 Ravens, the 2003 Bucks. If every time that damn offense let them down and those teams just crumbled the way the Bills did, those teams never would have won the Super Bowl. Granted, the Bills' defense isn't what those teams were, but the, the defensive line is supposed to be, and they were totally absent. Uh, the team got totally outcoached, and it's because of the DBs, who Chan Gailey always preaches the importance of defensive backs. Every single defensive back on the field got beat badly at some point during the game. And because of Sanchez getting rid of the ball so quickly, which was a very apparently their game plan, the D-line couldn't do anything even if they wanted to. I'd still like to see them make some plays, but they didn't. Um, I know the Bills are better than this. I think. I think I know that. But there were big expectations. The city was actually behind the team. There's a lot of likable players on the team, like Stevie Johnson, Ryan Fitzpatrick, a few guys on defense. Tough luck with the, the with the injury to freddie jackson another yeah another likeable really likable guy uh but finally this offseason was feeling like a positive there was a change the front office threw money at somebody that nobody thought they would get but you come out week one with all these expectations and everyone on the team other than cj spiller laid an absolute egg last thing i'll add is uh look i can't really say this better than greg easterbrook tuesday morning quarterback he wrote very little about the Bills other than three paragraphs that says yet another awful Bills team. And I'll just read the last paragraph. Winning in your division in the NFL is the NFL's best test of manhood. Buffalo is now on an 0-6 streak against the Jets, a 2-6 streak against the Dolphins, and a 2-21 and streak against the Patriots. For a decade, the Bills have been the league's worst managed, worst coached, and worst drafting franchise. Ouch. There's no sign of any change and no sign at the top of the Bills organization. No sign... Anyone at the top of the Bills organization cares. Uh, people like Mike Shope, who we have on the other podcast this week, a local guy, are often criticized of being negative about Buffalo teams. 
This is a national guy in Greg Easterbrook. How can you not be negative about this team? For the love of God, either turn this around and win 10 or 11 games, and there are 10 or 11 winnable games still on the schedule, or go 2-14. and 14. Enough of this crap where you go 6-10, and 10, get some draft pick that isn't like a surefire thing, and just roll the dice again. Fitzpatrick isn't going to win us anything. He's a nice guy. He's a likable guy. He's not going to win anything. Trade your next two drafts worth of draft picks to get a guy like Matt Barkley or somebody you believe in. That's a position they need to improve. They've just they still not replaced Jim Kelly. The hardest thing, I mean, that's oh, that's the hardest position in any sport maybe to replace is quarterback. That said, there's nobody in the system that even has that potential. There's no young guys. They should be drafting a young guy even every if it's year. A, every year. And if the Bills start off 0-4, that young guy should be the quarterback for the rest of the year because you have to find a guy, and if it's Fitzpatrick, isn't it? All right, like other I said, teams have done it with Matt Castle and with you know Matt Flynn and you know sure. Not Every guy doesn't have to be the first overall pick. Right. That said, Andrew Luck looks okay, and he's going to take his lumps. Uh, RG three looks ahead of schedule after one game, and that move was a crazy move by the Redskins to trade all those first round picks. They look brilliant today. The Bills are the biggest joke in the league after one week again. Uh, like I said, this is long and disjointed, but it's good rant. There though. it is. Get better, Bills, or stay terrible. <laughs> yeah, stay terrible and just draft high. All right, good job. We're going to take a break, and we're going to be right back with Don Banks from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. <laughs> Our guest today currently resides near Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and is a graduate of the University of South Florida. Professionally, he has spent time covering the Minnesota Vikings for both the St. Paul Pioneer Press and the Minneapolis Star Tribune. He also spent time on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat for the St. Petersburg Times. In 2000, he began work at Sports Illustrated, where today he is a senior writer. He has appeared in two movies as a sports writer, 2006's Invincible and 2007's The Game Plan. He is a giant Boston Red Sox fan and is set to make his third appearance on our podcast today. A warm football nation and sportscaster is welcome to the great Don Banks. What's up, Don? How are you, Steven? Doing very good. Uh, excited to be talking football and being able to talk about games that mean something. I mean, it just, I don't know about you, but for whatever reason, it felt like a really long off season this year. It did. I think the Saints saga and uh, the Manning saga and a couple other sagas took up a lot of energy, and I also think the preseason grows a little more tedious and feels longer every year until we get to football that really matters. You know, I, I didn't plan on getting into this. Just, just real quickly, we talked to Michael Holly a couple weeks ago, and it was just after uh, New England had played a home preseason game where, you, you know, nobody that anyone pays to see played a snap. Do you think there's a solution? Do you think this is anything the NFL is looking into at all in terms of the value of these preseason games to their season ticket holders and the price that people pay to see these games that aren't really games, more like glorified scrimmages? Well, I, I think it's a huge reason why the league is going to continue to to push the 18-game regular season schedule, and someday we'll have two two preseason games. It's not going to happen immediately. But they are already talking about potentially dropping ticket prices in the in the preseason as an acknowledgement 
um, that these games really, even by historical standards, have become just a shell of, of what they once were. So I, I think inevitably we're, we're going to get to a point where uh, the four-game preseason doesn't exist and and possibly um, it's going to you know be once really once Goodell Roger Goodell the commissioner of the league decides the time is right to go back at the players he'll have to have something that he has to give them in order to go there um, but right now they they deem the player safety issue made the 18 game schedule um, really untouchable in in the most recent CBA contract negotiation. Well, moving on to the regular season, uh, we've seen a lot of really uh, interesting things this first weekend, and I've heard a lot of people, uh, it's almost like a new NFL catchphrase, overreaction Monday, I heard a couple days ago. Everyone talking about how after week one, different fan bases in different cities would be overreacting to different things. In your mind, what what things did we see week one that we shouldn't react to either in a positive overreact to in either a positive or negative uh, way. Well, I mean, I was in New Orleans and I watched Robert Griffin third's spectacular debut, but and and I wrote it as I think what it deserved that it was really kind of one of those eye-opening performances um that you're going to remember for a long time, but I mean, clearly Redskins fans probably shouldn't print up playoff tickets just yet as good as he looked. I think the team obviously has clear-cut holes, and I think he's going to be asked to do an awful lot of the heavy lifting. So that that's that's one area right there where I think naturally, enthusiastically, you're going to overreact to Griffin's uh, first regular season game. It's easy to do, but let's see how it looks in the span of time. Um, in Buffalo, no doubt, uh, an overreaction, they hope, was in the aftermath of that horrible um, beating that they took at the hands of the Jets in New Jersey. Um, again, I don't think the Bills are that bad, but when you when you have one game to kind of critique, uh, that's all you're going to see. And I think um, I, I think teams, you know, like Green Bay shouldn't overreact because I think the Packers are going to are going to be fine. Um, the Saints fans probably wanted to uh, overreact on Monday. Uh, but when you look up and you see the Giants and the Packers and the Saints, three of the teams in the NFC that made the Final Four last year in their conference, and they all lost at home, you realize that you kind of have to take a breath and give it a little more time. You were in the Superdome. I want to ask you one Saints question. The There's been a lot made about how the team will be able to perform without Sean Payton. And I thought going into the season they'd be very well prepared to be without Sean based on the games that they played last year with him up in the booth when he had his leg injury and kind of the transition they were forced to make then. There's one play that sticks out in my mind from that game Sunday, and it's Patrick Robinson not getting off the field on a Redskins punt to extend a Redskins drive that really crushed the Saints' hopes of a comeback. That's the kind of thing I don't think I, I remember ever seeing in the Sean Payton era. The kid was jogging, is loafing, it was a terrible penalty. Am I overreacting to that, or do you think the Saints can be okay with the do-your-job mantra and the things that they have set in place to be without Sean? 
Well, clearly Robinson wasn't doing his job at that moment, and, and I kind of shared the same attitude you had. I thought the combination of, of Drew Brees still being there, the coaching staff being so experienced and having a lot of continuity together, uh, the idea that Steve Spagnuolo would be a, a huge addition, I thought, on the defensive coordinator side of things. Um, I thought the whole absence of Sean Payton issue was overblown. Now, based on one week, it didn't look overblown. It, it, they looked a little flat. They, their intensity was down. They had every reason in the world to play with, with a, um, a fevered pitch of emotion going into that game, given that they got the suspended players back on Friday, um, given that they were back on the field in their um, home stadium where it's always absolutely uh, raucous. But based on one week's worth of results, you'd have to say that Sean Payton was missed. I even go as far as saying that Greg Williams' sideline fire was missed. So you, you add Payton and Williams, who brought a lot of intensity to that same sideline, and it's easy to make the assumption that, that week one anyway, um, I don't think the Saints handled it as well as a lot of us thought they would. We talked about overreactions, but is it maybe not an overreaction to say that San Francisco looked like they could be the best team in the league after one week? Yeah, I don't think it's a big overreaction. I mean, when you go into Green Bay where they didn't lose last year in the regular season anyway and kind of manhandle the Packers, I know the score was eight points, but it really wasn't that close. It didn't feel that close. Uh, Packers got a punt return touchdown that, that could have been called back with that penalty. Um, they got a break on a uh, on a call that allowed them to score on a one-yard pass to Jermichael Finley. It really didn't feel as close as the score indicated, and I thought they physically kind of manhandled Green Bay. So you have every right at this moment to say the San Francisco 49ers look like the most complete team. Their, their passing game, which clearly they tried to upgrade at receiver, looked much better than when we last saw them in the NFC title game, almost weaponless outside. And, and that defense still hits harder and plays with more intensity and absolutely surrenders no yak yardage. Uh, and I know that's redundant, but yards after catch for, uh, you know, going on two years now. They, uh, they really do look uh, top to bottom the best team in the NFC. And if you go under the assumption the NFC right now is kind of the, the stronger conference, you can make that case. Yeah, you gave the uh, the Patriots a little bit of an edge in your power rankings column. I have no problem with that. The Patriots looked really good this weekend. What do you think it is about this Patriots team uh, that could maybe return? Uh, they were in the Super Bowl last year, obviously, but they haven't won one in a while. What is it about this team maybe that could head down that road? Well, I, I think the most hopeful thing in week one you saw was that they got uh, impact contribution from their two first-round defenders, um, Jones. Chandler Jones, a defensive end, and, and Dante Hightower, the, the linebacker. Those guys combined to you know score when, when uh, Jones knocked the ball out of uh, Locker's hands and, and Hightower pounced on it and picked it up and took it back to the end zone. I don't know what if it was four or five, six yards, something like that. But, I mean, that's what New England has sorely lacked in recent years is the youth um, that they keep drafting on defense to make an impact. So I think that's the, um, that's the first thing that jumped out at you. Obviously, Stephen Ridley in the backfield going for 125 yards. The Patriots 
have to like what they saw out of him, having lost Ben Jarvis Green Ellis to Cincinnati and free agency. Um, those things combined with, you know, I, I think if you keep knocking on the door in this league, uh, eventually you get there. And, and Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, you're right. It's been since 2004 season since they won their third ring, and the quest for that fourth ring is now in year eight or so. But uh, I think they'll be right there um, in the hunt, in the Final Four, in the AFC, taking their shot come January. Football Nation and the Sportscaster is lucky enough to be here with Don Banks from Sports Illustrated, who you can follow on Twitter by simply at Don Banks. Uh, looking ahead to week two, what are the most dominant storylines that you'll be looking to see play out this week? Well, I think one glamour game is clearly the Sunday night game. You have Detroit going to San Francisco. You've got the whole drama with the coaches and the handshake of last year. Um, that will be well-covered ground. But in reality, that was one of the best games of the 2011 season. Um, the Niners went up to Detroit and, and beat Detroit. Um, but it was a really entertaining game. And if, if Sunday night at Candlestick is, is two-thirds of that, we'll, we'll, we'll be lucky. I think the fact that the Lions' passing game and receiving crew goes up against that 49ers defense is going to be really interesting to watch. Um, the game I'm going to be at isn't quite as riveting as I had hoped. I'm going to Dallas at, at Seattle. Mm. But, one, it's, it's Seattle's home opener. Uh, Russell Wilson, the rookie quarterback, played extremely well in the preseason. Didn't have the greatest of days in week one at Arizona, but wasn't awful. Uh, it they could have easily won that game. And then the Cowboys coming off their upset of the Giants um, in the opener uh, last Wednesday night. Let's see if they can build on what they did and, and go 2-0 and on the road. You go 2-0 and on the road to start um, a season, you're in pretty good shape um, just because the math starts to favor you. So those are two of the games that I'll be watching closest. You wrote on SI.com a little bit about the tough start that the rookie coaches had last weekend going 1-7. and seven. I think that was something that we really expected last season because of the short amount of time that the new coaches had to put their plans into place. Maybe didn't expect it as much this year, but the coach that did win, Greg Schiano from Rutgers, now over at Tampa Bay, uh, Buccaneers maybe got a little bit of a surprise win over division rival Carolina. What do you think about the Buccaneers and what their ceiling might be this year in the NFC South? Well, I, I kind of like what I see because uh, here it is, the 10th anniversary of the Bucks' only Super Bowl team, and it seems like they're, they're turning back the clock. Um, you know, teams in San Francisco and Houston last year took a huge step up, a turnaround season, kind of focusing first on defense. And I think Tampa Bay is probably the candidate that fits that, that template best this year. seems to me that Shiano knows, you know, yes, you have to score in today's NFL, but I think they're going to try to win first with defense. And um, you have to like what you saw out of defensive tackle Gerald McCoy, the third-year um, top three pick in 2010, who's had two straight years cut short by injuries. He was dominant against Carolina, played most of the day in, in, the, in the Panthers' backfield and um, you know, just really kind of got after it all day. I think Tampa Bay, I, I think they're going to end up in the 500 range, but that's going to feel pretty good after 4-12 and, and and 10 straight losses to end the, uh, the season last year under Raheem Morris. Let's get you out of here on this. You know, I think one team that kind of surprised me on Sunday a little bit was the Rams. 
and uh, how well they played, especially in the first half, forcing Stafford into three interceptions and kind of just falling short of winning that game. And I'm really interested in their game this week because Sam Bradford is going to be at home his third season after being the first overall pick against RG3, the guy who got all the buzz this week for the performance that he put in as a rookie. And I kind of feel a little bit like Bradford is on the clock, that this is one of those games where he needs to prove that at this point in his development, he can stand up in his own building and lead his team to a win over a rookie quarterback. What do you think of the Rams and the matchup between Bradford and Griffin this weekend? Well, it is fascinating because of the trade, you know, because the you could say that St. Louis, you know, robbed Washington blind, but after watching Griffin play last week, you know, who who robbed who? I don't know. Um it's it yeah, I agree with your your premise that Bradford really needs to kind of protect his turf here. If if RG3 goes into St. Louis, which could have ha- clearly had him and lights up the scoreboard and puts up another 40 points like he did last week in the Superdome and and Bradford doesn't kind of match him. Um, you know, we say whatever you will. We couldn't draft him because we already had Bradford. We had so much guaranteed money wrapped up uh, before the rookie wage scale was put in. The Rams fan is going to say we could have had that guy, and instead we have Sam Bradford, and the comparison is not going to be favorable. So, yeah, I think Bradford Bradford can do himself a huge favor by avoiding that type of talk. Uh, starting Sunday night by putting in a good performance. If St. Louis can get a win, they have to feel pretty good about the first two weeks of the season, pushing Detroit to the final seconds, um, and then going up against really the hottest story in the league and coming away with a win in the home opener. Okay, uh, it's Don Banks again, Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Don Banks. Uh, power rankings column. I know everyone loves power rankings. Does that come out on Tuesdays or Wednesdays? Wednesdays. 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 You can look yep. at the power ranking column. Everyone loves a good power rankings column. <laughs> uh, <laughs> enjoy, uh, enjoy week two and enjoy your time in Seattle. And thank you for doing this with us. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. All right, one last segment on the Sport Football Nation Presents Sportscasters Podcast, episode 20. I want to thank our guest today, Don Banks, for stopping by. Okay, so here's what we're going to do with the last segment. Uh, well, first things first, you can always email us at sportscasters at gmail.com, and in a second you're going to see that during this time we're going to read the email that we get that's best each week. Maybe we'll do two, maybe we'll do three. But don't be afraid to email us. Again, the address is sportscasters at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at sports underscore casters, and you're more than welcome to ask us a question that way. Sure. And we'd be more more than glad to answer it. And you can find us at Nation. That's how you follow the site in general. Don't forget to check out the Sportscasters proper. Season 2, episode 32, features interviews with Dan Wolken. It's a hardcore college football interview. Dan covers college football for the USA Today. We also have Pablo Astori. If you're a Redskins or Saints fan, Pablo was in the building. Got a chance to walk across from the locker room, across the field to the bus with RG3 after the game. Uh, Spoke with him. And also we have... A local Buffalo kind of a flavor interview with Mike Shope, the host of the Afternoon Drive show on the local yes, sports Bills talk fans. radio here. 
Um, don't forget that you can find that at www.sports-casters.com. Also, you can find it on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And what we're going to do is first we're going to do email, and then we're going to sign off with one last thing, and we'll tell you what that is after the email. All right, email. I think I'm going to read it, right, Don? Sure. Okay, email says, hey, guys, out here in Cheeseland, a little bit worried about the way my Packers played in week one. Just curious what you guys think from a bit away. Do you think the Packers are going to be more like the team we seen and got used to last season, or do you think we're going to be more like the team that got dominated by San Francisco on Sunday? Thanks a lot. Love the show. John from Wisconsin. Um, well, they're not going to be a 15-1 and team like last year. That's tough. Their, their offense was dominant last year. I still think they're a dominant offense. I do think they need to find a little bit more of a running game eventually. Uh, Cedric Benson. Cedric Benson's there. Starks, Buffalo kid. Yeah, he barely made the team. Uh, there's not much there. They're kind of a one-dimensional. I mean, they're a great one-dimensional offense. It's all passing. I guess you could say the same thing about teams like the Patriots. Their defense wasn't always great last year. They're a team that gets a lot of pressure on the quarterback, but they, they do give up a lot of yards, and they need to shore that up a little bit too. I think they'll be fine. I still I think, think they're one of the favorites in the NFC. I think that they let, need to let their stars be stars. You know, I think Aaron Rodgers got off to a slow start, had a bad game. That can happen, but I think he's the kind of guy that you know is going to bounce adjust. back and yeah. bounce back in a big way. Clay Matthews did have a pretty good game. I thought he was pretty disruptive, and I would expect more of the same from him all season. And as bad as that the game only, was, they only lost by eight, too. I mean, right, they were one and, score away. And the only thing I'd be concerned with is where do Detroit and Chicago stand? Detroit looks like they might have take, taken tough, a step back. Division. Chicago may have taken a step forward. And where does Minnesota fit in if Adrian Peterson is healthy and Christian Ponder is a little bit better? I'm worried that this division might beat itself up a little bit. So, yeah, 15-1 is out of the question. But I still think the Packers are the class of the division. I mean, is there any team that's just going to run away with it in the NFC anyway? You know what I mean? Like the Giants the NFC, won the Super Bowl at nine and seven. The NFC might be so good this year that the top echelon of it is going to beat each other up. You know, the Saints and the Falcons in the South. If you still believe in the Saints, you know the teams that we mentioned in the uh, Central Division, and then there's the the uh, Giants, a, the Giants, or- and the Eagles, and the Cowboys, Cowboys and the, the Redskins. Yeah. What's that division going to be like? So the NFC, even though it, it seems like the better conference this year, you might see better records in the AFC from teams like Houston. New yeah, New the AFC is a little more top-heavy. Yeah. So I wouldn't panic yet, John, and thanks no. a lot for listening. And, again, you can find us at thesportscasters at gmail.com or on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Yeah, now we're going to do a segment, a uh, new segment. We had done use this space to do around Football Nation. Just It's football season. Go there. Check there's it out. There's plenty to check yeah, out. Yeah, there's plenty yeah. for you don't your need team, your the hand. league. Right, go go check it out, footballnation.com. Um, this segment kind of is similar to the ending segment of uh, Around the Horn. Around the Horn. Where Except the, you don't have to win. Yeah, you don't have to win. We're just going to take the last segment to uh, just take 15 seconds to talk about whatever. So We're going to call it one last thing. And uh, go ahead, Don. All right, one last thing. I know I ranted and raved about the Bills and how I want them to be. I 
I think they can bounce back. I'm hoping what I saw was a total aberration, and I would love that to be true. The The schedule sets up this year that even if they're just good, they can make the playoffs. And that, that would go a lot – that would do a lot for a team that hasn't been there in a while. Maybe the better thing for them to do would be just to fall flat on their face, but please turn it around, go 10-6, and six and make the playoffs. All right, one more thing for me. Sam Bradford, you're on the clock, buddy. Uh, I've been a big supporter of yours for a long time. You had an awful season last year. You're healthy again this year. And you played okay in week one, 17 for 25, 198 yards, and only one TD. And believe me, I know that this team has not done enough yet to surround you with the top flight talent that number one, former number one quarterbacks like Matthew Stafford, for example, have with sure, Calvin yeah. Johnson. But you're on the clock, buddy. It's time to step up and be a leader and be the number one guy this week. And you know what? You got a time, a chance to make a statement this week. Your team hosts Robert Griffin III in St. Louis. You got a rookie quarterback who's in the same spot you've been in on the other side of you. It's time to step up, lead your team, give the ball to Steven Jackson if you need to, find David Gibson or uh, Quick or whoever you need to, but it's time to step up and lead the team and have the Rams beat the Redskins this week. Mm-hmm.